All right, welcome back. Another episode of Business of Film, episode number 33. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and as always, you're listening to a crafttruck.com podcast. So this week, we're going a little bit off book. We're doing something a little different. I, uh, I found the gentleman who we have on our show this week. His name is Michael Franklin. He is a researcher at the Institute of Capitalizing on Creativity at the University of St. Andrews, and he's also affiliated with Creative Scotland and does some consulting uh, with companies like Distrify and others. His area of specialty is digital and how digital uh, works in conjunction with what we'll call, say, the causal gap. That is the relationship between the digital metrics that you pull from uh, all the various social metrics that are available and the actual final action of someone converting and or doing something. So... I found Michael on Twitter. Uh, he had followed us on uh, on Craft Truck and uh, checked out his site. And I was like, hey, this is really neat. I'm a little bit of a meta digital analytics kind of guy. And I wanted to speak to that kind of person on the show to see if we could find any uh, big picture truths about the interesting. So some interesting insights uh, come out of this episode. And uh, Michael is based in the United Kingdom. So it was also fun to get uh, somebody on the show who isn't from North America, which I'd like to do more often, actually. So without further ado, uh, Michael Franklin and uh, Digital Engagement, episode number 33. Uh, well, thank you for coming on the show, Michael. I appreciate your time. This is, uh, this is great. Well, it's great, great, to, uh, it's great to speak to you. So just so that we can all get a little bit of a history, a, a not a, a long history, but kind of a short history of, of who you are and what you do, uh, maybe you can give our listeners just a, a little bit of knowledge of who is Michael Franklin. Sure. Yeah, so um, I am a researcher and a consultant uh, based here in the UK, uh, and uh, I started working in the film business uh, about 2007-8. I graduated from um, a business school in the city of London, and since then I've been working for different um, film bodies and consultancies, uh, as you'll be familiar for, from, from Canada. Uh, there are lots of um, public-backed or government-backed or charity-backed um, uh, organizations in the UK and Europe which put a lot of money into film and related businesses, uh, which is perhaps a little bit different from uh, the US where everything's uh, private money. Um, and so I've been working in consultancy mainly on film finance and also on digital distribution and marketing for the last uh, few years. Um, and I sort of combine that with uh, research, academic research. Um, so I'm at the Institute for Capitalizing on Creativity, uh, which is a bit of a mouthful, but um, we research all of the uh, creative industries. Um, but my, obviously my specialism is film. Uh, and so it, it's very much... Uh, independent film. Uh, we do have quite a lot of uh, inward investment uh, from major Hollywood uh, productions. Obviously, in the in the UK, we have a very attractive tax credit. So some of the work I've been doing is on um, sort of strategy and policy on that side of things. But mainly, my, my focus is on uh, how independent production companies can leverage digital distribution and marketing uh, strategies uh, to get their films to market. And we have sort of a dual... Uh, uh, sort of remit for our returns. We want to see, obviously, we want to see financial return on investment um, from from public funds, but also 
we'd like to see uh, new talent and our talent um, getting out there and getting seen and, and developing careers. So, so that, that's just, sort yeah. So let me just actually just because there's there's actually quite a lot in there and what you've already talking uh, started talking about, and I want to just just pull this apart for for, for just a moment. Sure. Let's let's just focus in on the uh, on, on the research side first because I think what you said there. Uh, which is which was really uh, of a lot of interest to me, and I know to our listeners would be that how do independent producers leverage digital distribution platforms and other marketing platforms to get their films out there? So, is it fair to say just I just want to be clear: is it fair to say that 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 as a statement is a focus of research for you? Yeah, yeah, it is, um, and I think um, I mean obviously you've had uh, lots of lots of people are. are we're from different um, companies, many of which we're familiar with and, and use. Uh, I mean, you've seen uh, Turgan and uh, various theatrical on-demand platforms um, starting to, to be adopted over here. And we have worked for um, companies that have started to move over there as well. I mean, there's Distrify, which is another um, sort of uh, spreadable media um, sort of uh, trailer point of sale uh, tool set. Um, but a lot of the, what you find is a lot of the research on uh, on the film business in general, but it, it, it tends to be very um, quant-based, but also very sort of probabilistic, looking at what sort of relationships uh, are between different variables, say genre, star, budget, that sort of thing, and that relationship to box office. And it really comes down to the research that's been published and what people sort of tend to hold on to as a sort of the fundamental truths about uh, about what can be known about the movie business is based on that that type of research. Okay, so um, this, is, this is actually very interesting, but I just want to, before we we get into that, and I do want to get sure. into that, uh, the, the research body that is doing this, what is the name of that, of just, just so that people are aware of, of who's actually doing this research? Sure, yeah, so... Um, I am currently at the Institute for Capitalizing on Creativity, which is part of the University of St. Andrews. Um, and I am backed uh, and sort of aligned at the moment with um, Creative Scotland, which is a uh, publicly funded and national lottery funded uh, backer of the arts in general, but also we have a, a film fund. So very much like um, the BFI or um, what the precursor that was the UK Film Council, which people might be familiar with as well, um, or CNC in France. Um, these are uh, government-backed um, institutions which uh, invest in film finance, in film production, film distribution, uh, and also, uh, luckily for me, in in research as well. Okay, so that so that's okay. So let's let's talk about some of this um, this research and the data that comes out of this research because I'm imminently fascinated with the idea of, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, metadata that comes or that can come from these, you know, global research type projects. And we've heard a lot on the show, certain basic underlying assumptions from, from uh, many of our guests about what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing, you know, uh, tasks that should be attached, uh, the kind of distribution that you should have. There's all kinds of assumptions that have been thrown out. And I assume some of those assumptions are obviously based on, uh, I would say, fairly deep-seated uh, industry-specific knowledge from people who are in the business. Uh, some of it might just be assumptions that they're throwing at the wall, and some of it just might be, okay, well, this is what I think. What I, I'm very interested in is hearing from you is, okay, what is the research actually saying? What is it that you are finding when you're looking at this stuff? Sure. Well, um, it's, it's, I mean, it's really interesting. You have uh, 
a lot of um, very uh, well well founded sort of basic truths you know in, in this sort of um, this new digitally disrupted environment you know starting early developing as much uh, uh, online fan base as you can because that has like sort of digital currency and you can leverage that and those are sort of just practical tips which you know are commonly understood. Um, I think the the interesting area is where you get into sort of um, what, what I call it like a causal gap. If you think of um, you have some sort of activity online, such as you watch the trailer, and then um, on if you, the most basic example, you watch a trailer on iTunes and then um, click to purchase that 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 film. You know, there's a very a very simple mechanism traceable within iTunes that someone has watched that and there's a conversion to purchase ratio of, of some digital interaction, this being a, uh, you know, the watching of a marketing trailer and, and a purchase. Um, but what uh, there tends to be in, in most, um, the rarest of digital engagement or digital marketing is a lot of assumptions between, you know, social media metrics and some value in the marketplace based on that, even though there's no uh, direct link to purchase, if you, if you see that. Um, well, what's, what's interesting is, is really how people are starting to evaluate that data, um, where there is no convert direct conversion to purchase, but there are also business decisions being made upon it, um, if, that, if that makes sense to you. So if you, if you think of um, the fact that we have all of these wonderful tool sets now for, for producers to, to use and, and even you know, small distributors to use, going direct to direct to fan marketing, you know, theatrical on demand, video on demand, all of those, those things. They're great and wonderful, but can only really be maximized, if you like, if you're able to produce the film and uh, underwrite the P&A spend without reliance on some market finance, which circumscribes the channels by which you do the distribution. So, can you actually um, can you expand on that point because I, yeah. I, get, I get a sense of what you're saying, but I'd like you to just kind of talk well, more about that so we can just really understand what that means practically. Yeah. So if if I've made a film um, based on angel investors, Kickstarter money, um, friends, family, credit cards, uh, loans from a bank, those, those sort of uh, financial sources, then I'm perfectly at liberty to you know, raise the rest of that finance and then go direct to my fan base uh, and then uh, do a theatrical on demand, do video on demand and make all of the rest of the money, minus the 30% or whatever the intermediary charges me, uh, all that money comes back. To, to me, but the majority, or the, most of the films that we're interested, or me, I'm personally interested in, uh, are not able to. Uh, you know, if you're working at a several million dollar film level, it's hard to make that money, uh, sorry, make that film, raise the, the finance plan without some element of market finance in there. That being um, either sales agent distribution, some some people that have a vested interest in you using some mech part of the sort of traditional um, film business value chain mechanism. Um, and that that finance, that, that decision that people the decisions that people make to invest in a film uh, is based on their assumptions of future revenues. And those assumptions are, are at the moment up in the air and, and based on what they think the potential value is in video on demand or in different emerging markets, all of these international uh, digital channels. But th those are the decisions that are being made on sort of new uh, aggregated data, which is not available um, 
to, to, to anyone outside those people making decisions. And so that's, it's those decision-making frameworks, which I think are the, are the really interesting aspects of the film business at the moment. Okay, so just so that I can kind of wrap my head around what you're saying is, because I, I think what you were getting at there, and I just want to make sure that I'm clear about this, because it was a really interesting point. Uh, what I believe you were saying was that it was important to have some kind of traditional P&A spend in order, uh, and also some kind of traditional marketing uh, play to work in conjunction with the new distribution methods. Otherwise, you are not going to go nearly as far as you would on your own. Uh, or, or am I misinterpreting that? Well, I mean, that, that, that's, that's kind of... The, the point is, I mean, you could... If you were able to finance a film uh, at the, 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 the professional level, you know, a couple of million uh, dollars or, or a bit more in, in pounds, uh, purely without, if you were able to do that without market finance, say without sell, you know, um, borrowing against sales estimates, without an advance, without a distribution deal, etc. If you're able to do that without that, then you are completely at liberty to use these new tools and benefit from them without any... Um, being circumscribed in any in any way, but for the majority of films, that's not the case. They've they've got to try and find some portion of their finance plan from the market. And are you saying right? that's a good thing or? Well, I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing. It's it's just it's just it's just reality. And and the fact is that those people who are going to put up that money from 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 the market are going to do so on the basis of some evaluation of the likelihood of making money from that film, and. So the that, that evaluation you were saying is also based on information and data that only they have. Right. Well, it's based on it's based on a, a number of things, and that's and that's where the interesting question. So it's based on the market financier say it's a, it's a sales agent. Um, they've got a whole historical track record of what films they've previously sold around the world. Uh, they know how much money they've made in different channels. And that's constantly updated. So that's one set of information they're making on. But they're also taking into account what the producer can bring to them in terms of uh, what they're saying is, is proof of demand. So we're seeing, you know, um, people, you know, if they've raised a certain amount of, of funding on Kickstarter, it, they've got a certain huge number, you know, data set of people they've already contacted that have sort of proved that they're invested in that film and, and interested in it. And that's another set of, set of information that the, the financier is going to make a decision based upon. So those are the, those are the kind of data sets that people are, are, are evaluating. And are you seeing success from people who are not on that side of the fence? Because as you're talking about, there are those producers who are able to, say, fund their film almost entirely from private uh, investment, uh, soft money subsidies from uh, whether it be the UK Council or, or, or otherwise. Uh, those producers who aren't at the behest of the traditional, uh, the traditional financing mechanisms that are deciding to go out and take their, make their films with their own money get it out there on their own dime, uh, how are those films, I mean, do you have data on how those films are comparing? Well, yeah, I'd say for the, the stuff that we uh, have, those tend to be um, documentaries um, and the, so the, 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 the model for, for fiction filmmaking uh, in the UK uh, at, the, at the low budget level um, isn't, isn't 
there yet. They will, they're doing they're doing the hybrid, sort of a hybrid hybrid version. So we have um, there are low budget filmmaking schemes called uh, like Film London's Microwave and things like that, where they're able to try and do these hybrid models. So the first um, theatrical on demand. Uh, uh, title was actually released, I think it's Borrowed Time, uh, which was released last year, and there's a good um, report on that by Sampo Media, who did a, uh, a good case study on that. Um, and so these are the ones that are sort of trialing that basis, sort of a touring theatrical on-demand model, uh, and because they're made for such little money uh, in terms of uh, total total budget, then the chance of them making money back is is is, is higher, but really the the... the, the You'd say the the purpose of those films is really as a sort of calling card and for sort of a next step into the industry, um, where there's a new hybrid financing and distribution model being sort of taking off or at least at least doing better. It's definitely in the documentary uh, area where you can sort of piece together a, a financing budget from soft money, tax credits, and then charities or uh, organisations which have an interest in a particular. Uh, niche topic of that documentary yeah it's interesting that you actually you know came right out and said it's documentaries uh, and lower budget documentaries that are being successful on this model of uh, diy distribution let's for lack of a better word and that's very much consistent with what we've been hearing from a lot of the other people on this show because with documentaries it's an easily identifiable market if you're making a documentary about I don't know uh, fish and the uh, and 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 how you know I don't know global warming is affecting fish. Well, you can target everybody who loves fish and everybody who uh, you know is is uh, yeah exactly you know, who, who who is you know I don't know who likes and follows and is passionate about the environment. So those are you know documentaries target very specific niche groups. So I could see that that would be something that uh, would be the not only where the data is pointing but also what is successful right now, whereas the dramatic films, the, at least the at least I'm going to make an assumption here for you, and I'd like to hear what you have to say. Is my assumption is based on what you're telling me, is that dramatic theatrical films are not doing as well with the DIY model. Yeah, exactly. And you have um, a situation where the producers of those, you know, those fiction films uh, have. If they, if they are new entrants, they don't have any, any audience data at all. Uh, and if they're established production companies and have previously gone, gone down the traditional uh, market route, then whenever their films have been released, they have handed over their film to a, you know, if they've done a good deal or any deal, they've, they've handed over their film to a distributor who has, you know, done that market engagement, that audience engagement work for them. And so they don't actually have, um, that basis of uh, a known audience to even even start from, whereas as you, as you rightly point out, documentaries you know they, they have a longer sort of production period if they if they're shooting on and off uh, and it can build up uh, a uh, sort of a larger data set and have the time frame to do so. So yeah, that that's absolutely the sort of the state of affairs. And I think where where the work is being done or that needs to be done is is how to how to make the hybrid work for for this fi- for the for the fiction, so there might well be um, situations where you can sell or pre-sell or even just get good estimates um, for a certain type of film, whatever romance or drama for for certain territories around the world. That can form part of your budget, but then if you're doing this uh, digitally engagement early. You know, building up um, a following through your festival run, things like that, and find out that perhaps um, in certain territories around the world, 
you've got a, a known uh, audience, you've got the tool set available to you to do direct distribution, and in fact, you're not reliant on a pre-sale in that territory or an estimate being achieved in that territory to make up the rest of your budget, then those are the opportunities, sort of the, the, the specific opportunities that you can use digital technology to capitalize on. And so it's, it's really about working out how to piece together the hybrid model rather than saying it's one-size-fits-all for, for, for all of them. So uh, I want to go back to the data for just a second because uh, I'm a little bit of a data nut and I, I love looking at numbers and analyzing numbers and just trying to extrapolate what do those numbers mean. And especially today where everything is so analytically based uh, and considering with all these media platforms, these new media platforms, you can see specifically where your audience is coming from and uh, yeah. what's, what's driving conversions. Um, I, you, you mentioned before that some of the research goes into, uh, I guess, breaking down things like uh, genre and cast and budget and, uh, and distribution methods and, and, and all these different variables that you can you know, line up and, and do analysis on. Is there any big picture, uh, you know, kind of, if I'm, if I'm looking at the data from, from 30,000 feet, what do you see? What are, you, what, are the, what are the big picture sort of, you know, kernels of information or things that are, are working and or not working that you can extrapolate from uh, this data besides, you know, what we just talked about, which is, okay, documentaries seem to be working better than than fiction. Sure, it's sure. Just, you know, one big generalization, but I'm assuming there's a lot more information that you're pulling out of this data. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, just from from the great research that's going on around the world, not not particularly mine, but there is, I mean, that's a great uh, set of um, most up to date knowledge, which which shows the correlation between digital engagement and then and then revenue sales, be that um, uh, domestic box office or global box office. So you can. Um, and it, it was as you expect. So people have uh, correlated between um, blog references, uh, tweet rates, tweet sentiment, um, online Wikipedia edits, any uh, quite a lot of these different expressions. And, and certainly, I've got um, this, this sort of uh, information is is publicly available uh, between those. Um, Expressions of word, digital word of mouth, if you feel like that, you know that's a general term, uh, and they are you know are positively correlated with with revenues. Um, the which which is interesting and it sort of confirms uh, what we think. You, you want people to talk about your film. If you talk about it more online, then the chances are you have more returns to that information. People talk about it more. Um, if they go and see it, then they share about it. And, um, but uh, what that data doesn't really help us with is all right uh all right. so we're, we're back a little bit of a technical snafu there okay yeah so um i'll jump straight back in yes please yeah so uh i was reviewing the literature the research on digital engagement and uh film revenues and essentially they are all positively correlated be it um tweet rates um, blog mentions, Wikipedia edits, things like that. And there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of literature there. What the interesting thing is, is that really the, um, the sort of relationships don't become apparent until you're sort of six to eight weeks from release. That's when you start, obviously you start to see majority of marketing money being spent and therefore the, uh, the most traffic online and therefore you can start to see, uh, relationships occur. Um, the, the point of view from an investor then is that obviously you want um, 
the majority of people, you know, lots and lots of high figures of people talking about your film online, but that's no guarantee, uh, that's no guarantee of, uh, results. And also it doesn't tell you anything about, um, relationships between much, much earlier stage digital engagement and what it will potentially do in the future. So you can see there's a sort of disconnect. Yes, there's a relationship between digital engagement and, and, uh, money coming back, but only really reliable at the later stages. And so you've got to make a decision about financing much earlier. Is that so, clear? Uh, I, first of all, that, that's really interesting information that that relationship only occurs six weeks out. I think certainly you would think that you would be able to see that relationship a lot earlier. And uh, actually, I'm curious, how do you know it's only six weeks out? Why not? So, what, what is it at the kind of the research lay, level or the data level that allows you to see that, I don't know, that spike or that, you know, positive, you know, sure, I mean, values, whatever it is. Like, what are you looking at that goes, oh, yeah, yeah, six weeks out, this is where we can start to see positive relationships. Okay. So, I mean, that's a, it's, a, it's a broad generalization I was making. And these, this research occurs across, you know, a variety of fields, mainly from marketing, but also people from um, computer science, uh, from uh, sort of new mathematics and things like that. Um, the, the the easy question or the, the simple question uh, sorry answer that question is that just volumes of data um, there's just not enough um, traffic about um, particular film titles uh, earlier than that that would would um, would allow you to make those, those sort of um, connections that, that's sort of a, a really broad generalization and simple but aspect I assume, it. I assume it's a fairly complex type of endeavor because you'd have to look at it on a film by film basis of which there are thousands of films exactly and take a look at the various social media relating to each film i mean are, are you is is there some uh program literally a, a program that's crawling the web looking for this or there are, yeah, there are, you know a bunch of uh, a bunch of monkeys a thousand monkeys sitting, <laughs> sitting at keyboards figuring this all out there, I mean, there are many different ways of doing it, and there's many different uh, topics. What you tend to find is the research is uh, platform-specific. So people will do research on Twitter, and they will just do Twitter, uh, and they will ju- and other ones have just done Wikipedia, and other ones have just done blogs. Uh, and they're, so they're, ju- they're really taking narrow samples. So again, these are just sort of indicative rather than being capturing everything that's going around a particular film. What the interesting stuff about this being more about Twitter than anything else and what Twitter is showing is, or the research on Twitter is, sh- is showing, that it's really about volume rather than sentiment having um, too much uh, of an imp- of a positive relationship there. Or that the real, the, sorry, the, the strong relationship is between volume of chatter as opposed to sentiment. That's based on uh, a couple of the, of the most recent, or sort of the most available papers, most recently available papers. And that's just, I think, uh, a function of the lack of... Um, quality and sentiment analysis technology at the moment where you don't really have the capacity, although there's lots of nice AI stuff working, but to be able to capture things like sarcasm, um, uh, difficulties with titles, uh, and not really understanding sentiment too well. So it's really about just high numbers of attention is, is really what, what's, uh, what's important. Right. Well, which would make sense? More yeah. equals more equals more. Yeah, ex- exactly. But whilst, you know, I think what, what's happened is that you have these, uh, this is, there's a common, these common assumptions and they're common sense assumptions and in, in different ways they've div- been proven to different parameters. But 
how people then translate that into business decisions is important. Uh, and that's not a simple process. There's no simple metric for each one of these things by which people are then translating it to, um, to say why it's good to invest in a certain project above another one. Uh, and that causes confusion uh, for, for different market players. Uh, and it also sort of I think contributes to sort of a reticence of people to move into this new uh, model, especially when you have incumbents that have worked and worked in a more traditional way and are used to making decisions purely based on historical track record of, of films of a certain genre with a certain level of star, ABC, you know, ABC, how they performed in that territory. They're much more willing to make decisions based on that, regardless of the actual, you know, probabilities of performance as opposed to taking on a new data set and making decisions on that. So uh, there are two questions that I have that come out of this. Uh, the, the first one is, if you've got this more equals better equation inside of Twitter, and I'm going to assume that that more equals better equation uh, will filter through to a Wikipedia or a Facebook uh, or a Pinterest uh, or uh, any other... Of the you know maybe two or three other larger social media platforms, are you correlating or analyzing which social media platform that is is actually working better than the other social media platforms? So if you take that equation, more is better in Twitter as compared to more is better in Facebook. Well, which more is actually better? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a very good question, and it's a great piece of research to done to to be done. Uh, the existing research that I have come across uh, and have looked at. Uh, doesn't do that comparative model um, because you're right and as you mentioned previously it's so complex it's people have tended to work on one particular version and I, I'm speaking in broad generalisms and if anyone is, in, is, is particularly interested um, if you go to um, uh, uh, my website that has um, stuff which has li li proper literature reviews gives you all the, all the different references for, for this stuff um, but the the one where there is a comparative uh, which was really interesting was uh um, a paper by Asser and Huberman in 2010, but it looked at the, if you're familiar with the Hollywood Stock Exchange, uh, which is sort of a fake uh, investment market uh, based on, you know, what, what people think the box office is going to do, um, which essentially operates as, as a really good model for the market. Um, they showed that Twitter was a better predictor than that existing market model um, for predicting um, returns. So that it should, that that's one comparison that shows up. Uh, that shows up. But no, there's no um, there's no comparison at the moment between say it's better to have higher on Facebook than it is on something else. Yeah. It, also, the minute you say 2010, I kind of just fall asleep. It's like the dark. Sure. It's like the dark ages. Sure. Sure. And, I, mean, and I, I, I say that facetiously, of course. But well, no. I mean, it's it's an important point. I mean, you see the the change in the edge rank algorithm to you know. Um, completely disrupt the way in which people have been using Facebook pages um, in the last, you know, what, eight months or something, you know, maybe up to a year. I mean, that change in, in the way in which organic reach can happen on Facebook is, it has, has, has really made a difference to how, you know, brands, uh, brands operate. Um, and that, that's, that's, that's something that film producers and, and marketers need to bear in mind. I mean, there's the... The, the basic promise of, of sort of organic reach on the internet. This, you know, lots of people see it, lots of people share it, therefore they might buy it, therefore I might do well. That, that is a completely an oversimplistic model when you have the way in which Facebook will essentially tax the broadcast model. Uh, 
by virtue of, by virtue of its advertising revenue model. Fully, fully agree with you there. Uh, I, I have become somewhat, uh, I don't know, not complacent uh, with Facebook, but it, it certainly has shifted my view of it and how film producers should or should not be taking advantage of it. Uh, it's certainly a very complicated question. It's now an expensive platform to play in. It still delivers results, but I think you have to understand the kinds of results that you're going to get from it. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's become interruption marketing. If you can blast a certain amount of dollars at Facebook, you can get it in front of a certain number of people. And, well, that's no different than a television commercial. Right. It's just right. It's, it's, it's in your, your, your news feed. Okay, fine. But let me just – I'm kind of ranting there a little bit. Let me, <laughs> le, let me just, just move on to my, my second question, which was based on what you had said earlier, which – is about how you pull actionable insights out of this data. But more specifically, not at the, uh, I'm six weeks away from releasing my film stage, but how do you pull actionable insights from this data to help investors, early stage investors and early stage financiers uh, and early stage film producers in analyzing their project and kind of figuring out, okay, uh, this is, I don't know, what's working in, in the world right now or this is what I should be focusing on. Uh, what are those early stage actionable insights that you can pull from the data? Well, I mean, the, I'm, I'm interested in what you mean by, by early stage uh, investment. So what we would consider, or what I, I would consider the only, um, well, the, the major investment that matters is that one green lighting day where all of the independent financiers, and I'm only talking about uh, independent films here all decide that it's time to put the money in and, and then production finance goes down uh, and the film gets made. Um, so that at that stage, there is no um, probabilistic uh, way of using, sort of using data to make uh, a, a probabilistic uh, assumption on returns at that stage. It's, it's, just, it's just too early. Hold but, on. Hold on. I, 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 need to, I need to push back a little bit on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Just because I, I, th I think you've got distributors who have reams of data on other film projects that they have worked on. So they would say, okay, this is a family film that stars, um, you know, insert uh, global female uh, cast member in the lead role. And there happens to be uh, a very cute panda bear. And so we know that animals and... Uh, this this family genre and this screen uh, and, and this screen actress, those have traditionally given us this kind of yield or return on investment. And I, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. I mean, I, I'm saying that, but I don't necessarily agree with that as an assumption because, I mean, you can take a look at major stars that have, uh, you know, massive box office flops. So it's, I, I mean, I, I understand that 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 statement in and of itself may be completely flawed, but that, but therein is my question for you, which is, are you actually saying that the data, when you correlate those kinds of variables together, whereas, you know, a distributor might feel good about themselves or an investor might feel good about investing in a property that has those specific variables, that those variables are actually not as meaningful as we think they are. I, you make some really good points and, I, and there's many distinctions to make. So what I was, uh, was in my first response was just talking about digital engagement data. Um, so that, 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 that earliness, not being able to make the, 
probabilities at that stage when you're just financing it before it being made. But you make a very good point about that is exactly the way in which, um, the way you describe it is the way in which people operate. And whether or not that is um, rational, if you were to take it on, on a large scale, and the existing research uh, shows that that's not, um, if the, the best... Um, sort of research on this was done by Arthur Devani, uh, and it shows that to a certain degree, um, if you have a high-level uh, box office start uh, and the variables you just mentioned, you can be, you can, it's, a, it's a, like a defensible position. You can guarantee you, you won't, to a certain extent, you won't fall, above, fall below a certain, a certain return. But this is all based on, I mean, this research is based on uh, North American box office. So if you, you see the shift, uh, as you mentioned, we, uh, mentioned before, you've got to take the most Upstate data and the, the importance of international as compared to, to, to domestic has, has really risen. So whether or not these track records now hold even to that small degree is, is completely questionable. But as you point out, the practical realities of it are that this is how people make decisions. And that's what keeps the world going around and the wheel moving. So whether or not it's actually true um, based on a certain probability and reality, in effect, it doesn't really matter. If your aim is to get your film made and get it out to people, you need to have a situation where you can understand how decisions are being made um, by um, sort of subjective uh, rationality between these parties as opposed to some external uh, fact. Does, is that clear? Yeah, kind of clear, but I, I mean, I... I, I... I wasn't necessarily expecting, okay, well, the data, I mean, I would have been more surprised had you said, okay, well, the data is actually showing that it's not the case, or it is the case, if it was a very specific right. answer. So I am I, not surprised that the answer that you're giving is kind of more of, okay, well, this is this is the state of the world, and this is the way it really is. But, you know, I, actually, the, the, most, the most interesting insight that I think I pull out of what you just said is that, A, there's a certain amount of comfort, but B, it's that comfort what it really translates to is here's the least amount of money you're going to lose. Right, right. And that's, I mean, that's, that's what the research has shown based on traditional variables of, of genre and star and opening numbers of, of, of screens, etc. Um, but going back to the first question that sort of started us off on this track was um, when, when can data show you some real insight? And, and that's not generally uh, the case on, on a production uh, financier side when you, you're putting the money down to make the film. But as you mentioned, for a distributor, over the last few years, they, those, are the, those are, the, are the actors when they know their particular territory and they'll be able to see the, um, the, the data that they've done on all of their films for their particular releases. And then they're starting to be able to make uh, decisions based on, okay, if we see this amount of um, traffic this um, this far out, then we can rationalize our p a spend and how many screens we can expect to go out on. Those are the decisions where you can you can see sort of um, the more appropriate you know, causal link oh that's but, very uh, interesting you're, yeah, but, you know, what you're saying is use the data that you're pulling from all these various social networks and online you know data sets that you're getting six weeks out and use those metrics to adjust your p a spend. Right, exactly. So, I mean, you're talking about a much, um, oh, given on the film, but you're, it's, it's a much smaller amount of money and potentially risk than the actual total production spend 
of of the film. And so when you're when you're thinking about how does this sort of information uh, give insights to investors. It's probably a, it's it's sort of the second wave down the channel. It's it's if 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 distributors can make these decisions based on um, what they see uh, at the release stage, or at least you know the few months out from release stage, then they make decisions about what they might buy in the future, and those sort of trends then inform other non-distributors who are also making investments in film. So you can see the sort of gaps that come in between um, the actual knowledge and results but people infer from other people's behavior you know track records and how other much other people have spent these all factor into people's decisions uh, let me shift gears here just for kind of a last uh, I guess topic of conversation because we're kind of we've already blasted through almost uh, almost 40 minutes now and I want to just just I've got one kind of it's it's more of, a, of, I don't know, an insight or a thought or something that I've been thinking about and noodling about uh, in my mind these last you know, several months as we've been talking to people on the show. And so I'd love to get your perspective on it, which is when it comes to these DIY and digital channels and the ability for people to take their product out into the marketplace themselves, use non-traditional distribution methods, there's this, and, and also as we talked about very early on in the podcast today, uh, you and I, we were discussing that... especially with documentaries, you've got this long lead time where you can develop your own brand and develop your audience and get people to be engaged at that level. So when you lay all this stuff out and you kind of paint this this picture of this this new world where people can create their own audience, uh, uh, distribute their own films, put all that time and energy into that that process and and everything that, that goes with it. The question I ask is, is it worth it? Right. Um, it's a, that's a good and a, and a broad question. I guess it's certainly worth it if you're able to finance that film without, you know, and don't immediately need to pay back a huge, um, very costly uh, loan, right? If you, you're able to take the time, do the work, and then get paid back uh, and make money of it um, on that basis, then, then for sure. And if you've got time to do it, I mean, a lot of producers, they don't, they know that this, this stuff is available to them, but they, they want to make films. They don't want to spend two years, uh, shopping it and before and after, uh, trying to build those audiences. So they're quite happy to work with essentially the, the film value chain partners that they have traditionally operated. But what they'd like to do is see more money coming back, uh, by virtue of these efficient, sort of, you know, disintermediated strategies. And I think the, the, the interesting thing is how how you can do hybrids of that, and I think that that question is how you can um, demonstrate a continued value by your engagement with a, with the fan base. So I'll give a uh, a couple of examples. The um, Ken Loach uh, and his production company, Sixteen Films, have consistently been able to sell, act as their own sales agent in Europe to a number of key territories because they always sell to the same, generally the same distributors, and they know that they're always going to have a market um, value because of his his films uh, in those particular territories. Uh, and that's you know that's a very traditional piece of integration, a sort of vertical integration in the film value chain. How do you? 
go from that sort of very social relationship, you know that a certain distributor is going to buy that sort of certain type of film, to one which is predicated on digital engagement, a fan base that you can maintain over time. Um, and one of the interesting things I'd, I'd say to look at is um, Terry Gilliam, the uh, director, uh, Monty Python, um, and recently had uh, The Zero Theorem out. I don't know if it's come out in, the, in Canada yet. Um, but if you look at his Facebook page and the difficulties he's had with actually trying to get um, scale of release and demonstrate demand online through his fan base, so he's directly getting, getting his fans to go and essentially... Um, uh, campaign to his distributor. He's already got a distributor to to get the film out in different territories in different ways. It's the way in which um, digital data beca- can become sort of solidified in a, in a formula to demonstrate value. That's that's when it's going to be worth it for everybody to do it. Once once it can, becomes an accepted format to show show value, that's when. Um, it can be it can be valuable for everybody. So was I correct in hearing that even Terry Gilliam is having problems? Yeah, yeah. My my goodness, go go and and see his personal. Um, I did a blog post recently, but if you go to uh, see his his Facebook, um, it's a great it's a it's a fantastic case study of for the zero theorem for how value is not aligned between a producer or producer production company director and a distributor, and how there is still um, even at the highest level. A sort of disconnect and how um, digital data is being used to mediate that. Just out of curiosity, before we kind of wrap up, do you, do you have any theories or thoughts about why that challenge is existing specifically in that in the case of zero theorem? Um, it's you know these are you know they're difficult um, you know films uh, in terms of you know they're like you say genres so forth, but even it's. It's, it's, it's the same problem that's, that's overall. I mean, distributors work a portfolio model. They have to make um, it all work across the slate. The distributor just wants, sorry, the producer just wants that one film's attention. And they, they've got to do a cost uh, sort of benefit on that. Um, it's, it's going to come to a point where I think you have some sort of uh, illustration of uh, that just people commonly accept uh, as demonstrating demonstrating value so Terry Gillingham can go online beforehand uh, and and engage fans and and so in plenty of time enough for whichever his um, distributor was uh, to be able to say actually we've got now got the lead time to know that in advance we can either will book x number of screens and we'll make available theatrical on demand tool set for the rest of the risk to be underwritten by his online fans. And so you get that hybrid model. Yeah, still, it's, it does sound, even when you say it, you can kind of hear how nascent this whole stuff is yeah, and, and the hybridization model, which, frankly, is really one of the very interesting things that I certainly pull out of our conversation today is just that that may be more where, uh, where you know, where we're shifting. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of gives you a little bit of the best of both worlds. Uh, I'm also somewhat interested to see what, because, you know, the parallel to Zero Theorem is, is Joss Whedon's new film, and I, I unfortunately forget the name of it, but, of course, he put it out, uh, you know, platform, direct-to-consumers uh, mm. on Vimeo, and, I mean, just, you know, hey, it's Joss Whedon's new film, it's direct-to-consumers, and here it is. Um, you know, how does that compare? I mean, are, are, at some level, you're you're kind of comparing... You know, if if Tom Cruise were to come out and say, "This is my new film," or if 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 some you know insert awesome 
you know, action director here or narrative director here comes out. I mean, it's almost yeah. person dependent more than anything else when, when we start talking and really get into the nitty gritty of, you know, will somebody go watch this film? Sure. I mean, but I think that there's the, the second variable just to mention on that would be how much did uh, Joss Whedon's most recent straight-to-VOD film cost? Was it, am I right in thinking it was a low-budget horror, um, uh, I think, whereas uh, Zero Theorem wasn't expensive, but it, wasn't, it was probably more expensive than that. And certainly an action Probably. film, yeah, but action film would cost a, an even more. So you're going to have a lot more studio say, not going to let you go straight to VOD with a Fast and Furious Seven, are you? Yeah, all all very good points. So let people know how they can best connect with you uh, on the sure. digital in the digital world. Thanks very much. Yeah, um, filmbusinessresearch.com and at filmbizresearch. Um, a lot of the, uh, the the research um, data I was talking about, you can you can find it on there in in, in various publications, and, and people can can check it out if they if they're interested. All right, thank you so much for coming on the show, Michael. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. All right, we're done. That was episode number thirty three with Michael Franklin. Kind of cool, right? There's some interesting insights uh, that that conversation certainly illuminated to uh, me, uh, and I think what's kind of interesting, uh, certainly about this conversation that we just had is that the closer you get to the release of a film, the more actionable insights you can actually pull from uh, from the data. Uh, and I think that that, as we get more sophisticated, and as people get more sophisticated, and as distributors get more sophisticated with using the tools that are available to them, you're going to be seeing, without a doubt, marking dollars shift and ebb and flow depending on where the action is and depending on what that data is telling us. So that's really neat stuff and uh, I guess something we can all look forward to in the future. Uh, in other news, just wanted to let uh, people who are listening to this podcast know that our season two of Through the Lens, which is our feature interview series with cinematographers, is up now. And uh, if you just go to crafttruck.com, you'll see our... Uh, we're actually doing it in batches this season. Last uh, season, we did it episode by episode. Every week, we released a new episode. Uh, this year, we're doing it in batches. So the first four episodes of season two of Through the Lens is now up and available on crafttruck.com. And uh, if you're interested in that, you can go check it out. We got some really interesting cats on the show this year. And if you're interested in checking out the show notes for this episode, as always, you can go to crafttruck.com com backslash bof33 so we'll see you next week thank you for listening and uh, i really appreciate your taking the time to you know enjoy this podcast with us and if you have any questions feel free to drop us a line uh you know where craft truck on twitter and any of our other places so we'll see you next week thanks again have a great day